Well, amen. It is great to take communion together. It's a reminder that we know what the right thing to do is, and we often don't do it. And we're reminded at communion that God's grace covers us. And because he's made us pleasing to him, we want to go and please him as well because of his grace. That's certainly been the theme of our study of 2 Kings. It's like, is this literally like the same paragraph cut and pasted over and over and over again? And the kings did what was wrong and they followed da 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 da. Well, see, what's happening in the kings is what's happening in us. We just keep going back to wanting to rule our own lives. What's broken in them is what's broken in you and I. And in this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 15 today, we're actually going to see one phrase we've heard a lot, but it really shows up today, the sins of Jeroboam. Remember the guy who said, hey, let's make a new way to worship God. Let's find something to replace God. And it's going to be all through this chapter. The sins of Jeroboam, the sins of Jeroboam, the sins of Jeroboam, the sins of Jeroboam. Just this real continual pattern. The other theme you're going to see all through the chapter today is, and then so-and-so reigned in his place, and so-and-so reigned in his place, and so-and-so reigned in his place, and so-and-so reigned in his place. Whenever people don't put God in first place, God ends up replacing them. And we're just going to see that in spades in our chapter today. If you remember where we've been in this entire series, is we discovered that all of our hearts long for something to be king, right? We want something to be king. And so God is outside of our lives, but at some point we invite God in when we realize all the different dots I have in my life, those are different things I live for, power, position, approval, all those things. But I say, God, I want to invite you to come into my life because I want you to be my king. So God comes into our life as our king, and he wants to reign as king. As we've said in this series, God wants to be your first king, not your second king. And we are delighted to have God run our life as long as he does what we want. When he doesn't do what we want, we're like, get out of there. Go sit over in the corner. I'll take back control. God, your job is to help me get what I want done. And we start again living for all those other things. Well, that is certainly true in our chapter today. We're going to find these kings. They live for themselves. They replace God as king. These human kings replace God as the king of their heart. And then they're shocked and surprised when God replaces them as king. Right? These human kings replaced God as king. And then they're surprised when God replaces them as king. But God says, I've given you a stewardship. I've given you management of this area to rule over it with my priorities in my kingdom. And if you're not going to, I'm going to remove you and put somebody else in place. See, the best way to lose your place in life, mentally, physically, spiritually, even psychologically, the best way to lose your place is to try and take the place of God. Put yourself in the place of God and it will begin to just wreak havoc in your life. The best way to finish the race is to keep God in his place. So we're going to get three sets of kings today and how they refused, they didn't see how to keep God in their place. And when they put themselves back on the throne, it caused havoc in their life. I have a mentor who runs a $100 million company, very, very successful. He's kind of a top leader as a communicator, top leader of, of building organizations that really thrive. And I shared last week one of the poems I have in my office for the last 30 years is The Indispensable Man, a reminder of humility. 
One of the things he has on his wall is a, a phrase that just says, what would my replacement do? Because you ever come into a job and you're like, I can't believe the last guy was such a coward. He didn't fire them. He didn't fix that. He didn't get that situated, right? Sometimes you get into a position that you worked really hard for, and now you're so trying to keep your position, you don't do what needs to be done in your position. And this idea that he would one day be replaced as a constant reminder was a reminder that he's gonna, this leadership is stewardship. It's temporary. How do I keep God in his place and manage God's things, God's way, while I'm in this position of leadership? All right, so let's look at these three sets of kings. The first one is King Azariah. Now, we talked about him last week, so I'm just going to briefly summarize what we talked about. But he does kind of set up the pattern that we see in the whole chapter. So Azariah, the king of Judah to the south, and what's he going to do? He's going to set up the high place as this thing that replaces God. So the high place, which was this tall mountain, here's a different God, different way of worshiping God. You still call him Yahweh, but he's really kind of the God you've made up. He's kind of the build-a-bear God. You built him. You gave him a voice. He only says what you want him to say. He only judges what you want him to judge. That's what a high place is. So Azariah, in the 27th year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. And he did what was right, holy cow, a good one, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that was um, his father Amaziah had done. Except, there it is again, except the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. We've heard about these high places over and over again. Let me give you a, another way of defining them that will feel very practical and very convicting. What is a high place? A high place is when we make God in our own image. We kind of, well, this is what the Bible says he is. But I kind of don't like that characteristic. I'd like to get rid of that one. Let's add a little of this. We make God in our image. Or another way of saying high place is just putting myself in his place. So what you have, yeah, and this primitive people did that. I don't do that. Really? All right. We all do it, and there's plenty of conviction, so don't feel too proud on the first one because I'll get you on the second one. What does it mean to put God, put yourself in the place of God? Are you a worrier? What is it when you're doing, when you worry? You're saying, I'm concerned about something. Nothing wrong with that. That sounds like a good thing. But now I'm going to think about it over and over again as if by thinking about it, I can control the present and the future. You know, there's only one person who can control the present and the future. And it's not you. So you're going to give yourself ulcers. You are going to drive yourself into the ground because you're not just worrying. You've put yourself in the place of God. I'll give you another example. Do you see yourself as a perpetual victim? You say things like, I can't believe I have to go, go through this. I can't believe God let this happen to me. I don't deserve this. So think about what you're really saying. I know what I deserve. And it's not this. I have all supernatural knowledge of what I need to grow and what I don't deserve. And so, God, I'm a victim because these are not normal circumstances. These are, these are harder than it should be circumstances. You know better than God what should be coming into your life. The flip side of that is you become entitled. I've been so obedient. I've memorized so many verses. I've obeyed. I've taken care of my body properly and on, on, on. God, you owe me for all the good things I've done. 
Now you are the benevolent giver of all good things. You've put yourself in the place of God. Maybe you're the happiness guru. I like to be the happiness guru. I like to make people happy. However, have you ever tried to make all the people happy all the time? And has it ever driven you crazy because you can't? And, and so you keep trying, you keep trying, you keep trying. You make the call, you become that triangulation between your son, uh, or maybe it's your uncle, uh, and, and, or your brother, rather, and your mother. And mom's mad at your brother, so she calls you, and you kind of calm this down, and you kind of calm this down. And you're worn out for doing that for 30 years. Because you put yourself in the place of God as if it's your job to make somebody else happy. I told you we'd all be convicted here. Or maybe you just find yourself keeping track of who deserves more judgment. I'll never forget what they did at that family reunion back in 2010. She said this and then I said that and then she said this and I would never do that to anybody. You've become the mighty judge who knows what everyone's done. You're keeping track of what everybody's done and you're noticing that justice have not been put out yet. You know what you're going to do? You're going to wear yourself out when you put yourself in the place of God. You have a high place. You've replaced God as a source of the way. You are now the source of the way. And I'm choosing to worship God in my way. So let me give you an example of where I've done this. So a very stressful 14 years, mostly in you know, trying to juggle and manage and, and love and uh, work through some of the challenges of autism. So part of that was, as I was dealing with a lot of the stresses of that, I just tried to kind of be all things to all people and manage the unmanageable and fix the unfixable and just was wearing myself out, but didn't know it. It was just in survival mode. So about five years ago, I went to my doctor, and the doctor said, hey, Chad, you got real high cholesterol. You should make some changes. So I did. I made some significant changes. I went from a terrible diet to a very undesirable diet. It was really some major progress. For me, it was. And so I come back uh, about a year and a half later, and I'm like, hey, I made a lot of changes, and it's big changes for me. And he said, well, your cholesterol, we just tested again. It's gone from very high to double as high as it used to be. <laughs> this is not going in the right direction here. And so it was interesting because I went, man, you know, I, I really, what is causing all that? It's not just diet. It's actually I'm using food, and I'm using things to try and control things that human beings can't control. And I really, in the last couple of years, have, have kind of changed some of those patterns and begin to bring some healing. But I really felt kind of strangely that God was asking me to go get a, a, my heart checked. And so I got an ultrasound of my heart, which was kind of cool. So I went in and saw it. And I just had this, like, surreal spiritual experience. Uh, I'm sitting in the room, and I'm seeing my heart, you know, and it's just, you know, beating there. And I'm a scientist. I love asking questions. What's that? What's going on here? And what does that light mean? And he's like, nobody has this many questions. When do you get to see your heart? And, man, I just had this spiritual experience watching this ultrasound. I mean, I, I, I got emotional just having this experience, and I just see my heart beating. And it was almost like a prayer it was just between me and God. I'm like, God, I'm just so thankful that with all the kind of challenges that I've been through, that my heart's still tender. And thank you, God, that my heart's still tender toward you, and it's tender toward my spouse, and it's tender toward my family, tender toward the people that I work with. Man, thank you, God, for keeping my heart tender. And then I'm just seeing it beat, and I'm like, God, thank you for your faithfulness. And this thing's been beating every second of my life and just going strong. It just reminds me, God, how faithful you are. And thank you, God, for that. And I got done, and, and they gave me my report, and they said, everything looks really good. They said, you got a, maybe a little concern, but not a lot in your top left ventricle. And um, I said, what's going on? I said, well, it's just not kind of stretching as much as it should. And that's because um, you got to calm it way down during times in your life, and you got to kind of really work harder during your workouts. And 
And so they hand me this paperwork. It has the medical condition, you know, medical condition. And then it defines it in, in layman's terms, whatever this term was for my top left ventricle. The inability to relax. <laughs> so I talked to a doctor friend of mine, and he said, you know, honestly, the level of stress that kind of just, you know, the situation you're in is in, it's a good thing you play hard, and I play really hard, and I work really hard, because based on what you've been through and the circumstance you kind of live under, um, your heart should probably be in a lot worse condition. Because you play so hard and, and, and refill yourself so well, you're barely in the concern level, but it's still a concern level. He said, but you need to learn, and, and this guy was an insight for me, is I, I know how to play hard and I know how to work hard, but I often think that playing hard is relaxing. It's actually a different category. And so it's just what God was doing. And, and, and as I really diagnosed that spiritually, it was really, I put myself in the place of God, trying to control things that are uncontrollable and fix things that are unfixable. And as I've released those things to God, I can feel that fight or flight coming down. I feel myself, ah, I'm surrendering to God as king. So that's Azariah. And we talked about him and all the other details of him last week. So now we're going to pick up today by talking about the next set of kings, which is Zechariah, Shalom, Menahem, <coughs> Gesundheit, all right, Menahem. So we're going to look at this, and their reigns go so fast. <laughs> and they all put themselves in the place of God, and then God replaces them as king because they did so. Here's how it goes. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria for six months. He makes it, six months. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He put himself in the place of God, I'll define right and wrong. As his fathers had done, he did not depart, shocker, from the sons of Jeroboam who made Israel sin. Then, after six months, he gets replaced. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, struck and killed him in front of all the people, and he reigned in his place. Now, the rest of the books of Zechariah, blah, 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 are written in the book of Chronicles. But it adds this at the end I love. Now, this was the word of the Lord which he spoke to Jehu. Who's Jehu, Chad? I've lost track of the names. About 10 weeks ago, God promised Jehu. He does some things right, some things wrong, but he said, I'm going to make a promise to you that your descendants will sit on the throne for multiple generations. So even in the midst of this evil and brokenness, we still see God keeps his promises. God is gracious and kind. The word of the Lord was confirmed saying, your sons will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. God still offers grace and keeps his promises, even when we don't keep our promises to him. So now Shalom's in charge, the son of Jabesh. He became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And he reigned a full month in Samaria. Oh, wow, full month. We went from six months. This guy gets one month. From, from Manahem, the son of Gadi, went up from Tizra, came to Samaria, and struck him down. The son of Jabesh in Samaria killed him, and he reigned in his place. Well, that didn't last long. So let me show you where this is at. This is modern-day Terza. Look at the lusciousness and the fields. But I really want you to picture your fields. What are the things God's given you influence over? Your job? Your house? your car, your family and friends, your savings, all the monetary things, all the relational things. 
And ask yourself, in my fields, am I putting God first? Am I presuming that I earn this, that I'm going to always have this, or do I realize that it's a temporary stewardship of leadership? Because if you don't steward it properly, it'll just be somebody else reigning in your place, reigning in your place, reigning in your place, because you didn't keep God in his place. Now, these kings are not just kind of made-up names. Like, who'd make up these crazy names? These are real people in history. Like, our archaeologists have found that uh, Shalom actually found a ring with his name on it, which is kind of cool. So there's the ring. There's his name up there, the stamp seal for the Hebrew inscription of Shalom. That's why as much as it kind of gets hard to listen to all these crazy names, these are real people who had real jobs, real stewardship, real kingdoms. And they lost those real places and real kingdoms by putting themselves in the place of God. So the account continues. It goes back and gives a few more details. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Manahem, son of Gadi, became king over Israel. So remember, we're to the north now. And he did evil. Oh, so he reigned 10 years in Samaria. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. So God is going to now remove his hand of protection and allow a kingdom to the north, the Assyrians and Syrians, to come down and teach him some lessons. So Paul, the king of Assyria, came down against the land, and Manahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. So he's like, all right, the guys in my north want to conquer me. God says to trust him. Instead of trusting God, I'm going to kind of honor security, I'm going to pay off my enemies with money to keep myself secure. Because we always sacrifice to our real gods. So instead of putting God as his real king and sacrificing to him, he makes security and pays off his enemies, thinking that will keep his position and keep his reign. Well, do you think he paid for it himself? No, he extracted the taxes from all the wealthy people. So Manahem extracted the money to pay off those people from Israel, from all the very wealthy. So he's not even paying his own uh, tribute. From each man 50 shekels of silver to give the king of Assyria. So king of Assyria turned back and he did not stay there in the land. Okay, so it's working temporarily. That's the thing about sin. We wouldn't lie if it didn't work. We wouldn't sin if it wasn't fun for a little bit. It works for a time. You can put yourself in the place of God. But eventually, you lose your place and you lose your influence. Now the rest of the Acts of Manahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Manahem rested with his fathers, and then Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. And there it is again. Now remember with Assyria, in case you forgot, the entire book of 2 Kings, in the midst of all the details, the forest is, God is so gracious and kind. Are you sick of hearing about the kings? Yeah, sad, please. God was sick of hearing of the kings. God wants his children to obey him. And he's showing you over and over again, they just wouldn't. So God is saying, hey, uh, Saul was king, then David was king, then Solomon was king, and then the kingdom got divided into the north and to the south. And so the whole second kings has been telling us that during this time of the north and southern kingdom, he's eventually going to give them over to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The northern kingdom gets conquered by Assyria. The southern kingdom gets conquered by Babylon. And God has been saying, look at how gracious I was. Look at how merciful I was. 
Look how patient I was. Look, I tried everything to get my children to put me in proper place. And eventually, and this, the second king is basically his explanation of why he gave them over to exile. The only way they would learn is the hard way. It's a lesson to us about ourselves, but also about the graciousness of God. Because in the middle of Israel, they've actually discovered Neo-Assyrian buildings around 730 B.C. Because that land that was once Hebrew, they lose that land. They lose their influence and they lose their place. Literally to this day, there's archaeological ruins where the Assyrians came in because they didn't put God in their place. So what can you do in your life? What can I do in my life to put disciplines in place to remind us to keep God first? I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a superintendent of a big, uh, wealthy school system. Been a friend of mine for many, many years. And he was going up to do some uh, explanation to the um, senators in Ohio. And so like with a lot of politicians, they're passing a bill that's supposed to do A, B, and C, but they don't realize it comes with consequences of D, E, and F. And so this person is going up to explain, like, hey, maybe this sounds like a good idea, maybe it's not, but can we work together? So he goes up and he's chatting with this uh, kind of senator who, you know, had all this influence. And they just have a great chat, great conversation. They get done kind of talking about all the issues, and he notices the senator has a Bible on his desk. He says, hey, I noticed the Bible there. Can you tell me why you keep that there? He says, I'm actually a follower of Jesus myself. And the guy said, well, every day when I come to work, I open my Bible to remind myself that I need God's wisdom, God's direction, and I need to put God first in my life. He said, it kind of reminds me that I'm just a steward of this time and this spot and this you know, amount of influence that I have. He said, because part of my job is all day long, people call me Senator such and such and Senator such and such and Senator such and such. And I start believing I'm important, more important than I really am. I start believing that I'm entitled to what I have. And I start believing my own press. So I keep this Bible here and keep this pattern in place in my life to remind me who I really am and who God really is. And what I have before me is just a stewardship for this time. That's always struck with me. What a great, simple pattern and reminder to put God in your place every day. Another woman in our church, she jumped into a Bible study um, with another mentor at our church, and she had been a worrier most of her life. You know, part of being a worrier is not to be condemned. It's because you're concerned about people, right? So worry is really concern. But she was learning how to take those concerns and instead of kind of rolling them around her head a thousand times and, you know, creating a scenario or thinking by worrying about it, you're going to fix it. She began to say, I still got these concerns, but instead of worrying, which is talking to yourself, right? That's what worrying is. You talk to yourself. I'm going to talk to God. Hey, God, I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about that. And she turned her worrying into praying. Still has the same concerns. But she's now saying, hey, but I can't fix it, and I don't know how to do about this. But God, thank you that you're my heavenly father. And I just watched her over time describe how just not putting herself in the place of God by simply turning worrying into prayers in a Bible study, in a women's group that helped, really helped her make progress. And she just had so much more peace. And that's what God wants for you and for me. How can we put tangible patterns in place? And maybe it's a small group at Horizon. Maybe it's a personal Bible study going through our pathways. Maybe it's opening up our app and using and going through previous series we've taught before as a daily reminder of how to put God first. But put some patterns in your, in your life to make sure God goes first. Which brings us to our third set of kings. 
are two P's here. So this is Pekahiah and Pekah. And they follow this, what I'm going to call the jockey pattern. So one of them's uh, in control, but there's always somebody nipping at their heels, just waiting for them. They follow the sins of Jeroboam, get knocked off. Somebody conspires, takes over, and they become king. Then the next person comes around, knocks them off, they become king. It's just they're always jockeying for position. Now, you're not going to relate to this. This is what ancient people did. It's hard to imagine. They lived for power and money and influence. I know, these primitive people. And they would jockey for position to put other people down or make themselves look better than they were to get power even if it hurt other people. Can you imagine this? Anyway, you just imagine these are really primitive people. So these people who are jockeying for position and they follow this jockey pattern. Here's the pattern. You've already seen it in these guys. Now it shows up in these two. Here's the jockey pattern. Number one, J. Jeroboam's sins are committed again. Oh, God omits his protection and lets a foreign nation or another person come into their life. Because God's like, you don't need my protection? Let's see how that works out. C, there's conspiring occurs within the kingdom by somebody else who also wants the same power they wanted. They, the king, are killed by those conspirators. They are then erased and replaced by the next king. And God the whole time is saying, why? You should have stayed in your place and put me in my place. And there's the jockey position of every one of these kings. So you're like, yeah, we studied 14 chapters of this. How did they not see it coming? Well, how do we not see it coming? I, mean, I told you, I've been doing a lot of work in my own life to deal with some of the patterns I have, good motivated, good intentioned patterns that set myself up for God. And having seen so much progress in that area, really putting myself in a place where I really am taking the role of God like I used to. Man, I found so much freedom. I am not, I don't think, the, I think the last time I really struggled with this, like really was doing this kind of like as a, as a pattern in my life, man, I think it, um, probably yesterday actually is probably when I did it last because even though I know it, even though that I, I know how painful it was, I just do it again. But I'm catching myself quicker. And I'm putting God back on the throne quicker. So how do we not see it? All right, we're going to tell the story of these two Pekings. And I've hidden some things on the slides that are wrong. Because it's just easy to not see it. They didn't see it. None of these guys saw it. See if as I'm teaching through this, you can find just a few little things that are wrong. And see if you can catch it and not let it whiz by. Here we go. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, it's not any of the names, by the way, I wouldn't do that to you. Uh, in the 50th name of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Manahem, became king over Israel and Samaria. He reigned for two years. Six months, two months, two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. All right. We're going to replace you. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. There's our J, who made Israel sin. So God removes his hand of protection. Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, an officer of his, conspired against him. There's the C. And kick, killed him in Samaria. There's the K. All right. Anybody see the mistake? We'll move on to the next one. It's still in the second one, too. In the citadel of the king's house, um, along with Argob and Aria, it's not the names, and with him were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him, and there it is, reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah, 
and all that he did, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. How can they not see what's right in front of their face? Did you see the mistake? What book are we studying right now? Well, let me go back. Well, let me go forward. What seems like such a small thing, putting yourself in the place of God, it just becomes like breathing. You don't even realize you're doing it. And it's going to be right in front of your eyes. Your spouse can bring it up. Your boss can bring it up. Your employees can bring it up. Your friends can bring it up. But you just don't see it. Because it's just so natural to put yourself in the place of God. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, he was a guy waiting in the rains, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned for 20 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Shocker. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. There's our J, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. God removes his hand of protection. The O omits his hand. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tigloth Pilisar, the king of Assyria to the north, where he talked about, came in and started taking different cities from him. So now other people get exploited financially over here. Here they're losing their land and property because there's consequences to not putting yourself in your proper place. Kiddush and Hazar and Gilead and Galilee. Galilee, you recognize that? So all of these are cities up near where Jesus is going to be from, Sea of Galilee just to the west in what's called the land of Naphtali. And not only that, he carries many of them away as captives. Remember I told you this whole book has been explaining why God had to send Assyria to take them captive. They just wouldn't obey. There's a few good ones to the south, so they get a little bit more time. But Israel, who's had generations of God's patience, gets carried off. Then Hoshea, the son of Ella, oh, there it is again, led a conspiracy. There's a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramaliah. He struck and K killed him, and he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah, all that he did, indeed they were written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Hamaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And that's why God gives a little bit more graciousness and a little bit more time to Judah. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, he still had put something in the place of God. The high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense to them. He built, then now the rest of the acts of Jotham. Now, did you catch that one? I stopped the sentence in the middle of it. So that, that's a mistake you're supposed to find. All right, you know what? It still says First Kings down here too. All right, here we go. Now, the rest of the acts of Jotham, all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began, and look at this. So even in the south, things are getting bad. God began to send Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramiah, against Judah. So even now, it's like, oh, oh, things in the south, you're starting to put yourself in God's place. I'm just going to begin to put the pressure on, just begin to turn the heat up, because I just want you to turn around. God's judgment is always a desire to put us back on the right path. So even here, when God began to send, it shows again his patience, his kindness, and his mercy toward us. 
Can we resist the desire to worship power, position, money, and our own way of doing things? One of the greatest leaders of all time, who also had his own flaws, but he did something that maybe no one in history has done. He turned down the chance to be king of the most powerful nation in the world. His name was George Washington. We fought a revolution, beat back King George and all his nonsense. We're free. We set up a constitution to have a republic. And then everybody comes to George, because this is before we had parties, right? There, there, was, there weren't two parties. Everybody loved George. It's George! Oh, George! Way to go, George! Great president, great military leader. So we came as Americans to George and said, hey, let's forget that constitution. Let's forget that whole republic thing. How about, how about George? We make you the king. Oh, I skipped one, by the way. And Jotham rested with his fathers, and so was the reign in his place. George is offered the chance to be the king of the United States after his first um, administration. They said, you know what? England's got a, a King George. You can be our King George. We just got rid of bad kings. We'll just have like a better king. And George Washington turned down the power and the prestige of being the king of the world. That's gutsy. How do you turn down that much power? All of human history shows people fighting and clawing for that kind of power. And yet George turned down that power. And he's considered one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. So what's the secret to life? What's the secret to not following his patterns? It's simple. Put myself in my place and keep God in his place. That's why the main message of the Bible, the gospel, does this in so many ways. For one thing, you might say, well, I'm pretty much a good person because I go to church and I do the right thing and I've never killed anybody. And Jesus says, actually, if you've ever hated somebody in your heart, it's just like killing somebody. Well, not the same consequences, but before God, it's the same thing. And you just get humbled. Well, I've never killed a lot of people. Well, I've only, I've only had three affairs. We've had three affairs or two affairs. Jesus says, have you ever even lusted after someone in your heart or lusted after power or money or prestige or power? Anytime you've lusted after something besides God, you've replaced God with something, that's lust. And it humbles you to say, and that's why Jesus had to die, because of your lust for power or your lust for somebody in your heart, objectifying them. And that's why putting yourself in place, the Bible will humble you deeper than you could possibly be humbled. And then when you're like, but I have committed adultery, or I have had an anger problem I can't get rid of, and I have broken my, his commandments. But I'm going to try harder next time. Well, that trying harder will elevate you like this big, and then you'll feel good for a day, and then you'll fall back down again, and you'll say, I can't be forgiven. My self-worth, I just have a better self-worth. You don't want a self-worth. Self-worth will get you like this high. The gospel elevates you and puts you in your proper place. Because of what Jesus did for you, because of Jesus' gift to you, you who are totally humbled by what you've done are fully exalted. Not based on your good works, which aren't that great anyway, but by Jesus' good works, which are perfection. And now you are a child, an adopted co-heir of the, of the king of the universe. Do you have something on your resume that is even remotely close to being adopted and co-heir to the king of the universe? No. 
So let the gospel humble you to your proper place, exalt you to your proper place, and you will walk through life with a humble confidence. Because Jesus was offered all the kingdoms of the world by the devil. Which apparently God had given him authority to do. Jesus, you can be king over all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus refused being king of the world. Jesus kept himself in submission to the Father. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. And if I want to be king, I want to be king God's way. And that path, you're talking wanting to be a victim or feel entitled. Jesus was a victim and should have felt entitled. He lived perfectly. He chose God's path through the scourging, the ripping of his body so he didn't even look human, betrayal of all of his friends, put up on a, an ancient, horrific torture device called the cross. But in the garden, Jesus is given a choice. God, I don't want that. Oh, that sounds painful. That sounds terrible. But not my will be done. I'm not running the show. But yours be done. Jesus was always putting himself in a place of submission to the Father. And that's why today he reigns on high as the King of Kings. He put God in his place. And that's what I want for you. Put patterns, put habits into your life so that we don't follow the pattern of the kings. Let me tell you where we're headed before we go over the next couple uh, months together. This series is focused primarily on God doesn't want to be your second king, he wants to be your first king. I want you to think about how this can be the goal of what your heart's leaning into. But here's where we're headed for the next year. For those of you who are tired of talking about kings and tired of my cool chess pieces, we've got three more weeks of that with the chess pieces. One of those Father's Day. So 2 Kings, June 4th through June 18th. Then we've got a brand new series called Royal Habits. We're going to be looking at specific patterns, spiritual disciplines that some of the good kings had that we can practice. What does it look like to have prayer in your life and worship in your life? How do we grieve well? How do we study well? So we're going to look at six different patterns, spiritual disciplines, royal habits in your life. Then we're going to do series starting on August through September 17th on the Song of Solomon. Which, if you don't know Song of Solomon, it is a very intimate book about emotional, spiritual, and physical intimacy. It's like uh, you know, Jewish poetry, but celebration of physical and erotic love. And we're going to talk about how to communicate well, how to work through differences of opinion. It's going to be like a, a great Jewish marriage seminar where we're studying the Bible together. Talking about you know, sex and intimacy a third of the time and just general relationship principles the other two-thirds of the time. Then we're going to be studying the book of Isaiah for the rest of 2023. And it's called Isaiah's Comforter because in Isaiah 40, God says, comfort my people with these words when they're going through trouble. So we're going to build a giant comforter, a quilt, and it's going to be the different icons that Isaiah gives us to hold on to when you're going through difficulty. The manger, the virgin with child, the branch, the cloud, and on and on and on. We're going to learn all kinds of promises you can hold on to when you're going through difficulty. Then we're going to start in 2024 studying the book of Matthew. And I tell you, I know sometimes going verse by verse is exciting and awesome. Sometimes it's like, wow, this is hard stuff we're working with. But you know what? You're going to be able to stand before God 
If you've been with us the last couple of years and say, God, I studied through Hebrews. That was tough stuff. I studied through Numbers. Like, nobody does that. I studied through 2 Kings. I mean, to hear from the Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant. You studied my word and wanted to learn it. I mean, it's just so affirming that God wants to do that. And if you look through our, our Bible app, if you've been with us 20 years, just take the New Testament. We've studied the book of Mark, the book of Luke, the book of John, the book of Acts, the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, haven't done 2 Corinthians yet, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, one of the Timothys, one of the Thessalonians, Philippians, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. That's a lot of them we've studied in 20 years. We've almost studied the entire New Testament. And the Old Testament, we got about 40% of it done. It's a much bigger book because that's what we're committed to as a church. Verse by verse teaching, knowing that God speaks through his word. We want to know the whole counsel of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time today. Thank you for your kingship in our life. Father, forgive us for thinking we can run things better than you. And keep being gracious to us, Father, because we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today. 